Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Spiritual Unity Radio Network, a station dedicated to the concept that all manifestations of the divine are equally valid. Join Reverend Terry Power HP, Robin McKean, and all the hosts for programming covering a wide range of spiritual topics right here on Blog Talk Radio. for our guests to call in, I will give everyone who's listening some background on uh, me and my work. Uh, I'm Hercules Invictus. My Olympian mission is to promote lifelong personal development, human empowerment, out-of-the-box thinking, creative self-expression, and a dedication of one's unique talents to community service. All of my labors in this lifetime celebrate the hero's journey in myth, legend, spirituality, popular culture, and in daily life. I firmly believe that the human spirit is essentially heroic and always seeking ways to express its innate nobility and greatness, and that a life fully lived, dedicated to actualizing the highest we can conceive, is the noblest expression of human existence. Now, what motivates me is a vision, which I've called my primal vision because it started when I was uh, a child. And this vision has stayed with me throughout my entire life. And it's there whenever I close my eyes. And uh, it's changed very little over the years. It's expanded and I've noticed more details, but essentially it remains the same. I glimpsed the top of a mountain, shrouded in mist, hovering on high, I can discern the ruins of an ancient Acropolis complex in the timeless twilight. I wait alone, formless in the silence. In time, a lone figure, powerfully built and clad in the skin of a lion, makes his way toward the abandoned temple of the highest. His hair and beard are still mostly brown, though streaked with white and gray. In his right hand, he wields a knobby club studded with bronze. My consciousness enters this figure, and henceforth I see through his eyes. I know now that I am Hercules, son of Zeus, and progenitor of my line. Entering the fallen structure, I move through it unerringly until I reach a rectangular stone table, a long-neglected altar to the Olympians. Upon the altar is an antique horn 
from a heavenly bull, I told myself. I then realized that I had been here many times before and that I know exactly what I must do. The horn is of monstrous size and etched with arcane glyphs. Some of the etchings are inlaid with silver. I put down my club, cautiously lift the artifact to my lips, then blow into the smaller end with all my strength. The bellowing call echoes through the firmaments. With the horn of summoning still in hand, I exit the temple and peer purposefully into the murky skies near where I myself once hovered. I can detect faint presences, spirits that have answered my summons who will help me in carrying out my Olympian mission. Some take on form while others remain formless, but this I know. All who have responded will assist me in some unique and important way. And with this realization, the vision starts to fade. I'm blessed with a brief glimpse of the ruins restored to their former glory. The sky is lambent, blue and clear. There are mythic beings engaging in joyous activity. I myself among them. And I realize that this is Mount Olympus, my eternal point of origin and return, my heaven and my soul's true home. Now, this vision has motivated me to work on something called the Age of Heroes uh, throughout my entire life. So I will explain that a little bit uh, more. The way of the hero posits that one must utilize one's individual strengths to make one's world a better place. One need not be perfect or operating from ideal circumstances either. Are not the heroes that inspire us often tragically flawed? Are their lives not in a state of flux and full of uncertainty? Does this prevent them from attempting and accomplishing great things? Our Age of Heroes initiatives have harnessed the creative energy and focused the attention of many heroic individuals with radically diverse backgrounds over the years directing it towards improving the collective quality of human life. The Age of Heroes welcomes secular, interfaith, and interfaith participation. As with the Argonaut expedition of old, the children of different and sometimes warring gods are invited to partner with exceptional mortals to face great challenges and accomplish something that really needs to get done. In the early days of this new millennium, from 2000 to 2005, I partnered with individuals and organizations to stem the tide of the ever-growing digital divide in New York City. Our collective efforts led to a free computer drop-in center in downtown Brooklyn and an innovative intern-extern volunteer program called New Shores. Our adventures were chronicled through the e-radio show Navigating the Digital Divide, a comic strip in Big News, a few cliffhanger tales on site journey, uh, presentations at conferences, and an Age of Heroes special episode in the third season of my Fringe uh, TV show. Uh, from roughly 2005 to 2014, the focus was much more narrow. I championed literacy, uh, and by literacy means functional, vocational, cultural, informational, digital, multicultural, environmental literacy in rural northeastern Pennsylvania and northwestern New Jersey. Through my individual efforts in partnership with my wife, for a mythic 501c and via coordinated cooperative endeavors with local individuals and organizations. Local media and our website chronicle these particular adventures. And now our sojourn has returned us to northeastern New Jersey in the greater New York metropolitan area. 
um, I was inspired to dedicate myself to actualizing the ultimate dream, manifesting Elysium in the here and now. Elysium is the highest heaven the mortal mind can conceive. And the Elysium project is the ultimate adventure. There you go. Now you're up to speed with uh, the Elysium Project uh, radio show and uh, from whence it sprang. I will play a quick song and then we will return to the Elysium Project. Trust that brain behind your eyes To 
Carve a space for us within the universal mind And if it's up to us to bring some balance back Let it not be said, it's courage that we lack Crave freedom We have nothing but to say One thing evolved. 
Project. I'm Hercules Invictus, and our guest was unable to call in to our show today, so I will continue giving some background into what this is all about. Um, now, one of the important areas that we focus on with the Elysium uh, Project is uh, workforce development, um, and uh, I've often put that under the umbrella of Destiny Quest, and uh, let me explain a little bit what that's all about. Um, Our dreams are important. They guide us towards a better tomorrow. Yet it is what we do now in the present moment that determines if our dreams will ever come true. Your being here, listening to the show, means that you are motivated to move forward in life and are determined to create a better future for yourself and your loved ones. I salute you. And now let the adventure begin. What we do for a living helps define our place in the greater human community. The quest for one's purpose, one's calling, one's true vocation is often a lifelong pursuit. Each job, each volunteer experience, each action we take towards self-improvement and skill acquisition is a step forward in this never-ending journey of self-discovery and self-expression. Though it may often feel like you're alone during times of uncertainty and transition, it is important to realize that you are not. We are all on this quest together, whether we are self-employed, working full-time, part-time, or not at all. Perhaps we can assist each other in this life-changing adventure. Um, I hereby invite you to join our fellowship uh, by utilizing the resources that uh, we provide on uh, Facebook and other places uh, to help in this online uh, journey. And uh, at the Crestkill Public Library in Crestkill, New Jersey, in Brigham County, uh, it's a library that is uh, um, focused on helping people find jobs. You can call up there, make an appointment, somebody can help you with your resume, uh, help you tap into resources uh, online. And we often have activities there. We have had activities uh, for the past uh, several years uh, that help focus you on finding what opportunity is uh, best for you. It's my personal belief that our greatest assets arise from our uniqueness and that it's our responsibility to claim our own personal power, cultivate our unique gifts, and dedicate them to the betterment of our world. And that is the essence of the uh, heroic uh, path. Now, 
I'm a mythical person, so all of my activities have mythical antecedents. And I place value on choice uh, uh, because uh, of the choice of Hercules, which is a myth left to us by Xenophon in his book, The Memorabilia. Um, you can get it online for free. And uh, with me, it uh, greatly inspired me as it did the early Stoics. Um, and it serves as one of my life's guiding myths. In summary, before the Theban Hercules started his mythic career, he took some time to contemplate his future course of action. While he thought things through, he was approached by two imposing female personages, Areti and Katia. Katia promised him an easy path, filled with life's greatest distractions, but devoid of all sense of personal responsibility or social conscience. Areti, on the other hand, provided him a path full of uncertainty and hardship. She offered him a difficult future that fully embraced personal and social responsibility and demanded unceasing action, even when no reward was promised and no relief was in sight. Though no doubt tempted by Kakia, Hercules knew that life's greatest attainments were reached by discovering, cultivating, and sharing one's unique gifts towards the betterment of all. He embraced his best destiny and freely chose the path of Aeti. His many adventures immortalized him in human memory and earned him a place on Mount Olympus. Though Aeti is usually translated as virtue, it actually means personal excellence. And though Kakia is said to have tempted Hercules as vice, she actually tried selling him the option of reaping unearned benefits through the exploitation of others. Though the choice of Hercules is told as a one-time event in Hercules' eventful life, in truth, we are always at a crossroad and always confronted with key choices that determine our destiny. In honor of Thebes' greatest hero, I resolved to choose my future course of action as wisely um, as my deepest insights and highest perspectives allow. I would forever strive for personal excellence by discovering, cultivating, and sharing my own unique gifts toward the betterment of us all. We're going to listen to a little bit more music, and then we will return to our show. Your spell. 
cauldron's brewing magic she will give to you. You will dance in the eye of the storm, your Keridwen's children, the cauldron born. Oh, lady, stir your cauldron well, chant your words and sing your spell. Deep within the starkened hall, hear the goddess Keridwen call. Come and taste of the cauldron's brew and magic she will give to you. You will dance in the eye of the storm, your Keridwen's children, the cauldron born. You're the cauldron born, cauldron born, oh, we're the cauldron born, cauldron born, oh, we're the cauldron born. Greetings and welcome back to the Elysium Project. I'm Hercules Invictus, and we are going over all the background information you need to make sense of this show and why it exists and what it's uh, trying to accomplish. Now, we were talking about Destiny Quest before the musical break, and Destiny Quest is the pursuit of one's destiny, one's uh, personal mission, one's passion, one's purpose. It can be described in a variety of different ways. And uh, I would like to share here that uh, this is a journey I myself am on. Uh, although I've attained to many of the things that I had envisioned and that uh, uh, provided my life with meaning, it's an ongoing process. So I will share uh, why I am Hercules for hire at this particular point in time. Uh, I'm always looking for opportunities to grow and to help create a better world for myself, my loved ones, and the greater planetary community we all share. From 1980 through 2010, I established a unique career niche that powerfully combined my mythic inclinations with the fields of human services, education, and entertainment. At its height, I was proclaimed the human services superhero by NJ and Job Force. And you could listen to me pontificate on various topics in mall kiosks throughout the Garden State. The first Age of Heroes initiative was launched in New York City in 2000, and many talented and socially aware individuals joined together and assisted me in further spreading my mythic heroic worldview. Uh, this lasted in 2005 when we settled down in rural Pennsylvania. I rebuilt my legend slowly but effectively in PA. I formed a 501C and started developing mythic programs that champion literacy. Uh, all went fairly well until the local economy took a tragic turn uh, at the dawn of this current decade in 2010. The choice of Hercules, which I just uh, shared with you, uh, was preserved for posterity by Xenophon and greatly inspired the early Stoics. One of my guiding myths, uh, we are always confronted with key choices that will determine our destiny. So I resolved to choose my future courses of action wisely and well. As opportunities in education and the human services suddenly evaporated, I dedicated my energies to exploring other options and creating opportunities in instructional entertainment, 
from 2010 to 2012. Uh, I developed and ran more workshops, both professional and personal enrichment, than I ever had before. Developing a mass appeal version of our mythic uh, adventure interactive storytelling program already for various businesses and nonprofit venues. Partnering with other nonprofits, I researched and helped uh, write numerous grants. Uh, the competition for these limited funds, however, was uh, very fierce. Uh, my wife and I also established and ran an eclectic collectibles business in Ainon, PA, which also had a presence online and at various local fairs and festivals. This was a dream come true for both of us, and I enjoyed it greatly while it lasted. But alas, all of these efforts were not uh, effective enough. Uh, though, as we were you know, still physically here, the world as we knew it in PA did indeed end in 2012, just as the Mayan prophecies predicted. So in the autumn of our years, and in the autumn of that year, we started relocating to New Jersey. Within months, I was running workshops and a Mythic Adventure interactive storytelling program. We started a flea market venture called the Mount Olympus Trading Post. Uh, or the Mount Olympus Marketplace, uh, depending on uh, when in that part of our journey we were. And like Mark Marek's Hercules among the North Americans, I found myself performing many odd labors, like distributing leaflets, uh, preparing food, clearing storage areas, and lifting lots of heavy boxes. Uh, this was a younger man's work, and indeed, I performed many such labors when I first started out in the labor force uh, over four decades ago, uh, since it became clear that in my mid-50s at the time, now in my early 60s, my odd and eccentric life had essentially uh, become a do-over, I decided to fully embrace uh, reality and accept the challenge. I began by reaffirming my unique assets, my unique strengths, and my unique gifts. Then I started dreaming even bigger dreams uh, with other visionaries who were in similar circumstances. I got involved in many interesting long-term speculative ventures, which are in my line um, of work and within my core values, and started volunteering time and energy to various local endeavors that I felt were key to creating a much better future for myself and for everyone. Uh, the Elysium Project, my new Age of Heroes initiative, emerged like a phoenix from the flames and ashes of my previous life. And Destiny Quest, uh, which is my ongoing chronicle of how I reestablish my place and fulfill my Olympian mission in the brave new world in which we live. The tools I use and the wisdom I glean will all be shared uh, here on the show, as well as through our workshops and in any other way we can get the, the word out. So uh, if we can help you with your particular destiny quest, with finding your place uh, in life and actualizing your life's uh, dream, uh, please let me know. And uh, that's what we're here for, and we're going to devote a lot more uh, online time to it and have a lot more folks uh, who are also on this journey and who found uh, different answers that help them, and hopefully they can help uh, you as well. And now we will listen to yet another song, Merlin Am I by David Bard.
Welcome back to the Elysium Project. This is Hercules Invictus, and today we're focusing on options and opportunities. One of the most exciting things that happened on my Destiny Quest, which I explained uh, before the music break, was meeting with the American Workforce Association, uh, which is the brainchild of Dan Uloa. And I'm greatly honored to have Dan here uh, with his own show, the AWA Report. And uh, this segment is called Common Bonds. Today, Dan is joined by his guest, Ron Rivers. Greetings and welcome, Dan. Hey, how are you? I'm doing great. How are you? Good, good. You know, been busy. That, that's a good thing. <laughs> I've, I've been noticing on Facebook that you've been involved in a lot of things, and, and that's good. Um, without further ado, I hand you the scepter of Zeus, and the the show is yours for now. So I'm happy here to uh, introduce then uh, Ron Rivers. Uh, Ron is a uh, small businessman and an advocate here in uh, New Jersey. Awesome. Hello, Welcome. everyone. Welcome, Ron. Thank you for having me. So yeah, so tell us about yourself then. Um, okay, yeah, so uh, again, my, my name is Ron Rivers. Um, I've been a progressive activist uh, for the past three years. Um, I recently ran for state assembly in the state of New Jersey. I do a lot of writing and uh, podcasting about um, progressive political philosophy. Uh, as Dan mentioned, I, uh, I'm actually not a business owner anymore. I, I built and sold a business uh, in the state over the past eight years. Um, I founded a nonprofit. We invented the first free election campaign platform for local candidates to kind of get money out of local elections. And uh, and now I'm just pursuing a number of different opportunities. So uh, that's that's kind of my story in a nutshell. Nice. So how did you first get involved then in politics and activism? Sure. So I had been um, – reading about government, political philosophy, and politics, not so much politics as in uh, the daily politics, but just structures of government, uh, forms of government. Uh, Economics was a big interest of mine for years. Um, But I didn't really get active in terms of activism until 2016. I think uh, for many of us, that was a, a shared catalyst to action. Uh, it certainly was for me. I couldn't kind of you know sit on the sidelines anymore. 
Uh, and that's how I got into, you know, organizing. I've organized a handful of rallies. Um, I've done a lot of canvassing for myself, uh, as well as other, you know, uh, causes, for example, like Food and Water Watch. And um, currently I donate time to candidates, uh, you know, behind the scenes, helping them send texts, manage their data and stuff like that. So, uh, you know, it's, uh, I, I just felt that, you know, given the current state of time space, it was, it was time to get involved. I couldn't sit back and, and not be involved, uh, given that I felt um, the, the soul of the country was, was going in a direction that I didn't necessarily agree with. Nice. Yeah, that is a good reason, you know, to get involved. You know, a lot of people got involved then. Um, and thankfully things are looking like a little better. You know, that is, I suppose, like the silver lining of, this catastrophe of Trump is that a lot of people are like awakened to political issues now. So hopefully we'll be able yeah, to I remember, a better future that way. Yeah. I, was saying, I remember um, waking up the morning of with my wife. We actually hadn't stayed up to watch it happen. We were just like, well, let's just go to bed, you know, whatever. Everyone thought Hillary Clinton was going to win. So it was kind of like, well, whatever. I uh, went to bed and woke up. And I remember one of the first things that we had discussed was just the reality of our situation and uh, talking to her about, hey, well, you know, this is terrible uh, and it's probably going to be terrible, uh, but it may be the best thing that's ever happened to us. And I say us as a nation. Um, and I, I stand by that. It, it may get worse before it gets better. Um, I'm open to that possibility. You know, we, we live in a wave state, so to speak, but um, it's, uh, you know, I think it did activate a lot of people. And I think that that's really critical. It's kind of woken us up from our slumber. The question is, how do we continue the momentum? Yeah, because that's really like the catch. You know, some people are like, oh, you know, things would have been better. Oh, yeah, if Hillary had won, and then that would have been, that would have been it. And then but on some level, I think there are some issues that were long simmering. For example, a lot of these economic issues that we discussed on the show uh, pretty much every episode in terms of economic inequality, wage stagnation, lack of good jobs in this country. But it is great that people are getting involved that way. So, yeah, I mean, uh, oh, go ahead. No, you were saying? Oh, you know, I think you hit the nail on the head. I think there was a lot of um, issues, economic insecurities, um, the white working class, you know, while they certainly um, haven't gained a lot of fans over the past couple of years, um, especially the more kind of fringe uh, base of Trump, look, at the end of the day, like, they were forgotten by the system, right? And then, and then drugs were pumped into their communities for profit. So, you know, I'm, I'm not elevating their, uh, their crisis over any other crisis. I think there's a lot of systemic issues in the United States, uh, systemic racism, uh, systemic poverty. Uh, systemic and generational education, you know, uh, education disparities. Uh, but uh, I think it was kind of a culmination of a number of forces that, that you know, turned into this perfect storm. And, and you know, sometimes it's just better you got to get the poison out. You know, you got you to deal with it uh, head on uh, because who knows? I mean, it's bad now, right? But if we had a, a more intelligent, um, I, I would say more malicious. I'm not sure Trump could be more malicious than he is, but <laughs> – a more intelligent um, Trump would be a real, real danger. You know, I think now we're kind of fortunate where we have this opportunity where, yeah, it's bad and things are bad. 
Um, but there's been just so many slip-ups on, on his administration's end that it, it makes it a lot easier to kind of see the light at the end of the tunnel this time. Yeah, that is like the thing that people say, you know, like, oh, they don't want Tr- Pence because he would be better at it, that Trump is, like, incompetent. He doesn't really understand government. Uh, so there is, there is like, that silver lining. It could be worse, you know, but, like, today we had some horrible news uh, in terms of democracy that these House Republicans apparently, like, stormed and broke up a House hearing uh, the Democrats were holding on impeachment, so... This is pretty bad on a number of levels. So, you know, maybe maybe this is what we need, but, you know, we do move forward on uh, these troubled times. Yeah, I, I mean, so. the that that uh, instance, I'm, I'm pretty sure, A, that's illegal, and I think it's going to actually uh, be detrimental to those that did it. Um, B, I think that, like, the kind of... The, the fringe thing they're pushing was that you know, they don't want these closed door hearings, but I'm, I'm pretty positive that the Republicans who were you know, on the committees involved had the information. I mean, correct me if I'm wrong. Um, so I think it was more of a political stunt, um, but, you know, we have to be careful with this kind of stuff. I I've written at length about um, the underlying violence in Trump's message and his uh, rhetoric and his, you know, uh, social media activity. And I, I do believe that, you know, we just need to be conscious of it as progressives and as people who are thinking about these things of um, the threat of violence is there. And, and this kind of thing where representatives who, uh, I mean, look, look at the end of the day, um, a quid pro quo, if for people who aren't familiar with the law, like what's going on right now. Um, he recently, uh, William Taylor testified, he was our top uh, diplomat essentially for Ukraine. Uh, and he gave some pretty damning testimony with like a lot of notes, and a lot of information. I actually just finished reading it, funny enough, about an hour ago. Um, and you know, it was, it's, it's very deliberate that there was clear intention to withhold the funds. Actually, the, the funds were withheld um, before the agreement was even brokered, that we didn't give them funds we were supposed to. And that's when they came and said, hey, look, you're going to do X for Trump, and, and then Y is going to happen. Um, but in a quid pro quo situation of you do this for me, I do this for you, um, the, the legalese is very clear. You only need to solicit it. It is illegal to solicit. It is illegal to ask. So it doesn't matter what Ukraine did or did not do. The fact that we did it uh, under the guise of Donald Trump through his kind of you know, shadow government of his personal lawyer uh, and a few others, uh, I mean, it's illegal. It's, it's flat out like by the books on the law illegal. Um, and that is you know, grounds for impeachment. So I'm not really sure um, how much... Their, their little stunt actually matters, but it's certainly a political move. Yeah, certainly. So, hopefully there'll be horrible fallout for them. Uh, knock on wood. We'll see about that, but getting back to uh, AWA and our issues here, you know, we first met you know, on the uh, campaign for 15, you know, now it was pretty impressive to me, for example, that you were one of the few small businessmen at the time who was really willing to step up and like defend like this idea because it was something the Republicans kept throwing in our faces. Oh, small businesses, small businesses. Oh, they'll hate this. But, you know, you were able to do that. And, you know, I was a little envious and said, uh, 
to Governor Murphy's uh, guest of the State of the State. Yeah, thanks. Um, you know, don't be envious, right? I think we all, we all have our journey. <laughs> Um, yeah, so I, I had owned, I had built uh, an e-commerce business here in, in central New Jersey. It was a niche business, um, but it was a, it was an efficient business, and we were certainly able to, we paid a uh, $15 minimum wage, which I think uh, the governor really appreciated, and I was really honored to be a part of that. I mean, really, at the end of the day, to be able to serve the state like that, I think, was uh, something that was a really great experience for me, uh, and a total humbling experience to be the governor's uh you know, one of his guests of honors at a state of a state address um, and, and something I, I really appreciate. So it, it was something that we were pushing because, look, at the end of the day, um, and, and I know um, there's an organization called the New Jersey Policy Perspective, NJPP, um, they do some excellent work, and, and they really did outline um, the data was very clear. Um, this had been done before to positive results. A lot of the scaremongering that went on, businesses closing, uh, you know, people getting fired, it just it doesn't happen. Right, prices rising. It, it's nothing. The, the facts, the data show that the uh, it's just not true. Um, and at the end of the day, look, you know, we have a decision to make now in America. You know, we for so long prioritized economics above humanity, um, and it's created the most disparate wealth inequality in the world. Uh, and now it's worse than it's ever been. This year, right? I think it was last year or this year. Um, you know, the millionaires and billionaires paid less taxes than the middle and lower class. So, I mean, it's just a, it's, it's an, a blatantly unequal system. Um, and I, I don't think that, uh, you know, people, when it comes to small businesses, right, I mean, the, the big fear is like, how am I going to do this? But the, the reality is that the nature of small business is changing. Uh, and, and there's nothing you can do to stop that at technology. So small business owners need to kind of rise to the occasion or, um, as I suggested, to, to the governor. There are a lot of innovative things the state can do to deepen cooperation uh, between the state and small businesses to help them succeed and help them kind of, uh, you know, group their purchasing power to save costs, you know, give them advanced training. There's, there's a lot of different options that don't rely pitting small business owners against the poor. That's, uh, that's a really great point to make, you know, because I think, like, the argument that they kept making was, like, kind of ridiculous in the way you get these, like, econ one-on-one situations where everything's, like, in isolation, where if somebody at the widget store gets a raise, then, oh, then there'll be, like, a finite amount of money, and there'll be, like, less money. But in reality, you know, you have a system where there's plenty of small businesses, so the other widget store workers are going to get raises, and they might want your widget. So that was really, like, the point that nobody seemed to really understand or it seemed to be like willfully ignoring that I thought was always like a really good point. And it's good. And I think we've seen data coming out of New York city, which uh, raised its wage and, you know, they haven't had any crazy like dropping um, or rather um, the, the impl- unemployment hasn't gone up. Prices are what they were before. So, you know, it's working out without all that uh, fear mongering. So, you know, we're re- it's really good in that respect, and we're able to see it. You know, it was like a big fight because, you know, before, what was the minimum wage? It's still, unfortunately, seven twenty-five an hour. It was last changed uh, when I was in college, and that was a long time ago uh, now. And it's quite unfortunate because even like that was like horrible 
money, you know, in terms of, like, the federal level. So that's why, in reality, like, the, the idea of fighting for 15 for something far more livable was so revolutionary, you know, initially. But, you know, something can be revolutionary initially and then make be common sense by the end. Yeah, and I mean, we we can't forget, too, that, you know, the fight for 15 in New Jersey, it was one, I believe, the raw was 2024, um, which, when adjusted for inflation, is, is $10 and change, so it's, like, not even $15 an hour. Um, I, I think, like you mentioned, there's this this econ 101 mentality, uh, and, and everyone who, you know, is a small business owner, and, and really it's not a small business owner, it's, it's, it's people like the biggest protesters are going to be, uh, people like Walmart, right? Like people who employ a lot of a lot of minimum wage labor are the biggest protesters. Um, small business owners are certainly you. They're going to be challenged. But look, at the end of the day, like if you're paying someone ten bucks an hour, and you pay them, and it, you know if you have to pay them, let's say fifteen. Let's say it was immediate. Like if that was the case, right? Uh, I mean, that, that essentially means you're paying them an extra 40 bucks a day, um, which, you know, if your business can't, if, if you're really struggling, I understand that that's frustrating for a lot of people. Um, but in the reality, as someone who owned a small business, it, it wasn't a big adjustment. And plus, you know, you, you can also, there's a lot to be said, speaking from personal experience, about being, being willing to pay people what they're worth and the quality of work you get out of that. Um, I, in the past, you know, we, we've been in business for eight years. We didn't always do $15 an hour, right? Like we, we built our way up to that. Obviously it was before it got passed in New Jersey, but, but, uh, you know, we, we had tried to hire you know, as well as possible. And it was just, it was a bad decision for all parties involved, right? It didn't help our business. It certainly didn't help the person we were hiring. It just, it just wasn't a good fit. So I found that, um, $15, you know, paying a $50 minimum wage was a, a great kind of, entry-level position for someone to kind of learn, get their feet wet, and, and really dive in. And I think with that amount of, of cash, you can kind of give them more responsibility as well than you could someone making 8 bucks an hour. Yeah, that's a really good point, I'd say. You know, it is something that people really do say. Like, if you're going to pay somebody bad wages, you know, what are you expecting? What kind of job are you expecting? expecting them to stay there to really like innovate to come up with big ideas or any ideas or just to like push buttons or move things around and get the job done and punch out so that's like a really big point that we did try to stress in that fight but yeah that is like the cash that we had to make the deal that it is until 2024 um that it really hits 15 actually but We've already seen it go up to uh, 10 an hour. It went up to 10 uh, from the previous 8.55 or so it was at. Uh went to 10 in July. So, you know, people are feeling that at least. So, you know, we made some good progress there. So. Yeah, certainly. So tell us about our society then. Sure, yeah. So... Um, our society was a, a pet project, so you know, one of the benefits um, I had and one of the fortunate things I had with uh, running the business is it, it did give me a lot of free time, um, kind of how we structured it. And uh, so I founded a nonprofit. It was a 501c3, and essentially built a team of 10 people. 
and uh, they were all volunteers. Um, I, I self-funded the, the development of the project, and essentially what we did was we, we built the first ever free election campaign platform for local candidates. The idea was that you know, in some places in New Jersey, if you want to run for town council, it's going to cost you $20,000. So, A, it's just economically prohibitive. Some people just are not going to have the finances needed to run for local office. And I think that's frankly ridiculous, um, especially given it's you know, 2019. Um, there's no reason that you, there should be financial barriers to running for office. And you know, even though it's a soft barrier in that like it's not a requirement, it's, it's a barrier nonetheless. Um, the second aspect is that there's a, a lot of people within our society who might not just frankly have the capability to go canvas and knock on doors. Um, let's say people, for example, who are disabled, if they're wheelchair bound, if they have cerebral palsy, whatever the case may be, some people just don't have the ability to campaign as is traditionally required. So having all candidates be on a centralized, nonprofit, publicly owned uh, election campaign platform where you can log on, you give the platform your zip code, it shows you all the candidates on all of your ballots, and each candidate has a profile you can open. And then we built in some additional functionality. We built in matching functionality, kind of like a dating website algorithm. Um, we wrote an algorithm for it. Um, to, to match, you know, the citizen users with their candidates and their candidate options. Um, we had, uh, you know, just geolocated, so like it would show you we had a virtual ballot, uh, and we had a whole plot roadmap. It was a really exciting project. Um, we had, uh, in, in the idea, the underlying idea, I kind of briefly hinted to it, but the idea was to kind of build a proof of concept and then encourage it in the state. Um, we did a, a research in 2018 77% of the candidates who ran for local office, so that's anything mayor or below, had zero information posted online about their candidacy. So the vast majority, over three-fourths of the people who ran for office in 2018, last year, posted no information online about their campaign. And, and that's just unacceptable. You know, we talk so much about getting youth involved in politics, but if we're not going to communicate in a way that resonates with youth, and I say youth, right, I'm 35. I'm like a late millennial. Um, we're not, you know, I'm not, I don't consider myself young, but I, I grew up with the internet. I had the internet since I was 11. Right. So it's like we, you know, to not have, in my opinion, to not have mandatory mandated, if you're going to run for office, have a, you know, a profile online, that's just undemocratic. Um, so that's what we did. We had, we had about it was 18 candidates, uh, several hundred citizen users. And, um, yeah, it was it was great. It was a really positive experiment. Um, some of the candidates got over ten thousand you know views on their profile. It was it was a big success. I was really happy with it. Um, but we you know um, after you know, the end of that in, in late November two thousand eighteen, I ended up getting the process of selling selling the business, uh, and then I ran for assembly, and and then you know here we are. So I haven't had time to kind of pick up the project again. It was it was kind of a one shot thing. Um, but uh, in the future, I hope to, to kind of push forward. We did open source the code. I should mention that. If you guys, if anyone's listening, as a developer, we wrote it in PHP. Um, and if you're interested, I open sourced it. You can go to my website, ronrivers.com. It's the open source is on there. And you can totally take the code and make it your own. Do it in your own town. Not nice. It's quite innovative then. Could you go into de detail a little about open source then? You know, for us. Uh, yeah. Who... Open source just means so like typically when there's a, a company 
uh, let's say a private company, if they develop software, their code is proprietary. They own the code. Um, open source just means uh, we were a 501c3 nonprofit, so we were a, a non-governmental, nonpartisan platform. Um, and what I did is because after the fact, after the after we completed the project, and I kind of had to go on to other projects, um, I put the code out and I made it public. So anyone can go in and, and use our code base. So essentially what open source is that we use, uh, the license we give is you can use it for whatever you want to use it for. You can, if you, but if you make edits, you have to like post them back. You have to like let other people know. Um, you can try and commercialize it, but kind of in my point, you know, my perspective defeats the point. But the idea was um, we didn't want this to be confined. You know, this wasn't like a money-making scheme. This was all about just, you know, deepening democracy. One of what I believe to be one of the central tenets of, of progressive political philosophy is, is, is the raising of temperature of, of democracy. Um, so this was one way to do it. So we, we essentially gave out the code. We gave it for free. We built it. We took a year to make it, and then we gave it away. Oh, that's fascinating there. Uh, so you said you had candidates last year. How did they do then in their respective races? Um, I have to look it up, but I think a handful of them. I think we had like 18 candidates, I think three to five of them won. Um, so it was, uh, it was, uh, you know, that wasn't how I was gauging success. I was gauging more success on based on how many users were using it. Um, we tended to attract a lot of uh, candidates who were, you know, going against the quote unquote machine. Um, because a lot of, if, if you know, if you're listening at home, if you're not familiar with local politics, state politics, um, New Jersey specifically where, where Dan and I are based, uh, is very much controlled by heavily moneyed, uh, heavily influenced actors who really dictate the, the way elections run in Jersey. We have this thing called the party line, so everyone's kind of got to vote on it. And it's so habitual in the state where people just like see Democrat, they just vote down the line without really knowing or understanding the candidates. And um, actually a fun fact, on our platform, we didn't even list Democrat or Republican. We wanted it to just purely be issue focused. So you could see all the candidates, you could read their issues, um, but you couldn't tell if they were Democrat or Republican. You just had to make a decision based on the issues or the matching values that it gave you. So that's funny. So by the issues, then I wonder if there were any people who was like, oh, I wonder who this guy is. Like seeing, oh, maybe he could be a Democrat and wasn't, or vice versa. I guess they did say that, like, on the local level, there's no Democrat-Republican way to fill potholes. But still, if you know what you're looking for in the rhetoric. Yeah, and I think that's, I mean, that's a great phrase. There's no Democrat-Republican way to fill a pothole. And that's just it. Look, local politics, being a mayor, you know, it, it's not, you know, aligning with, I mean, they have to do it. And, and many, unfortunately, in New Jersey, many of our local politicians are beholden to the, you know, established machine. They have to act and be a certain way. Otherwise there might be consequences. Um, I know, you know, personally, I know some people who've, who've had consequences and it's been unfortunate, but um, yeah, I mean, look, when it comes to local politics, these are people like helping to manage your community. Most people involved, most of the people involved in local politics are doing it for the right reasons. Um, and of course those who aren't need to be exposed and, and get out. But uh, you know, it, it's just, community community engagement, community politics, and, and just having a way to, you know, give more people more access to the levers of power. 
Nice. Yeah, it is like a really noble idea because it is like a really big issue that, unfortunately, politics and democratic politics, even from like ancient Athens, has always been like the space of those who could afford to leave the store, who could afford to leave the firm and go like debate about like an issue. It's really important, you know, potholes are important, but, you know, people manage even when there are potholes. And unfortunately, that's been, like, a big issue, I think, you know, throughout, like, history. From ancient Athens, when slaves were working the stores, when masters could debate in the forum, to today, when to really be big in politics, you know, you do have to spend, like, a lot of money and have that type of money. You know, we have Phil Murphy. You know, he's a progressive governor, but we're not going to say he got there wholly on his own marriage without his wallet. So, there are sure. no issues, you know. You know. I, yeah, I mean, you, you can't deny that, you know, it's, it's, it's essential to the American identity and it's central to our real, our challenge. I think our existential struggle is that, um, the, the country was founded by wealthy white males. Uh, laws of property and contract were written, uh, and we still have the same laws of property and contract, the same core values of property and contract that have, you know, just by definition disenfranchised people because many people did not have access to them uh, and essentially got their access, access sporad- you know, um not sporadically is the word, but periodically kind of increased over time. But, you know, it's like running a, a race where, you know, you're running a marathon, you have 26 miles to go, and, and your opponent starts at mile, you know, 15, right? Like, it's, it's not a fair game. Um, and we've been kind of forced to confine to it, but it, it kind of bleeds into everything we do. When you have a democracy that depends on money, right, you have, uh, you have leadership that value money over, for example, the greater good of the community, the greater good of the state, the greater good of the nation. Um, and there's a lot of things we could do that's, I think, central to what the one of the reasons I'm involved and one of the things I write about a lot is, is a more scaled kind of exponential way of thinking about government and society. We're at a point right now where we can make dramatic changes, uh, not, not immediately, right? All changes piecemeal. Um, but I mean, dramatically and radically different directions, restructuring society um, to create scaled efficiencies that we just couldn't do, you know, 250 years ago. They weren't even fathomable. Um, but today they're very much here. It's just a matter of political will. Yeah, it is interesting to think of those, like these issues, you know, how do we make our society more equitable, for example, and dealing with these fundamental issues and trying to address them to make our society more democratic, to beat back on what I call hypercapitalism, to differentiate it, I think, from somewhere between before the 70s, you know, it wasn't so controversial to spend a good amount of money on education and transportation. And now these basic things of society, these things that Adam Smith, talked about in his book on capitalism are now, you know, you start getting people thrown around the word socialist, and it's being thrown around so much as to make it meaningless. So, like, if Bernie's a socialist, like, then, but is he really a socialist? 
said, is he going to really seize the means of production and nationalize Exxon? So that's really, but that's where we're at, where we're starting to have this idea where, you know, we understand that as a society, these economic issues are important. Uh, they're pervasive, uh, these problems of a greedy, hyper-competitive society have infiltrated and seeped into areas where they were not supposed to, and we don't know what to do now. So talking about economic systems, questioning the nature of the system, has become more prominent in a good way, in a very good way uh, for those of us who are trying to fight these issues. For example, you know, we don't want to live in a hyper-capitalistic society where, you know, people are dying, you know, because of poor medication or because of pollution or because they're so stressed because of work. Yeah, I I agree with you. And um, to your point, you know, socialism is is a boogeyman, um, but it, it's really because most people don't understand it. And no one is pushing socialism. Socialism, by definition, would be the complete seizing of the means of production, um, of all production, and, and putting it into people's hands. Democratic socialism is the idea that we as a democracy can choose to create separate market verticals. I think when you talk about economics, um, and it's a long conversation, we don't, you know, probably won't get into all of it at the moment, but the, the big challenge with the United States is, is not capitalism in that it, it's, it's not a system. It, the system itself is not evil. It's, a, it's the dogmatic worship of our singular version of the system. So, you know, you mentioned, um, is he going to nationalize Exxon? Well, that would be something I would actually be very much for. I think energy production in the United States is an essential part of all life in the United States. So when you have something that is inherent to existing, like food, like water, in many cases like shelter and health care, right, these are things that we can democratically decide to write new laws of property and contracts for. That's the central issue, right? The same laws of property and contract that influence health care influence video games, influence cars, right? There's all these different verticals that operate under the same set of rules. Democratic socialism is the concept that we can rewrite those rules, and we can. I mean, there's nothing stopping us um, to kind of build a more cohesive society that, that values certain things above profit, right? Like you mentioned, healthcare. Um, the, the anti-medical Medicare for all argument is asinine. Healthcare should be uh, a socialized thing. It is the most efficient system. It is done in the many countries throughout the world. It is, it is silly if the United States doesn't, and any argument doesn't stand up to the economics uh, or the moral test. I mean, it's, it just fails on both levels. So um, these are things that we can decide to do, but I think there's for so long when people hear the word socialism, they just assume this, like, you know, communist authoritarian regime coming in, or they say Venezuela socialism, you know, at the end of the day, there's, that's why I don't typically refer myself as a democratic socialist. I say a progressive because I think the brand is bad. Uh, And I think that's something that we're always going to struggle with. I hate to end this conversation here because it's, it's really, really, really interesting, but uh, our next segment will be starting soon. Um, Before you go, please uh, share how folks can uh, get in contact with you. 
sure. So, uh, well, first, thank you, uh, Hercules, for hosting us and, and having me on the show. Dan, thank you so much. I really appreciate the opportunity to talk to you and the American Workforce Association. Um, you guys can, you know, anyone who's listening wants to kind of talk a little bit more, dive into these issues, uh, you can check out my website, ronrivers.com, um, where you can listen to my podcast or, you know, I, I write essays every week. Uh, or you just hit me up at Ron Rivers with a little underscore. Um, so I really appreciate the opportunity, guys. Uh, I posted a link to your Facebook page. I will now post a link to your uh, website uh, as well. And again, thank you for being on. And this has to be continued. We can't just leave this conversation here. So we'll we'll plan a part two. Thanks so much, guys. Have a great night. You too. Thank you, Ron. And thank you, Dan. That was an awesome uh, segment. And uh, I certainly learned uh, a lot. And uh, now I have uh, many more questions. My mind has been expanded. Um, before you get off, uh, let folks know how they can uh, find out more about the AWA and get involved in your heroic struggle. Yeah, so we're on uh, Facebook. Uh, our Facebook group is the best way to find us. We are the American Workforce Association. You know, we're a community group. We can help people deal with the precarious times in which we live in uh, the gig economy, especially. We uh, seek to fight that. You know, so we're on Facebook. Uh, and we also have our website, AmericanWorkforce.net. And I can personally say that uh, it has been a great adventure. I wish that there were more hours in a day <laughs> so that I can get more involved. But whatever uh, free moments I have, uh, I devote to the AWA because they really have a grand vision and they want to do something really good for our future. So uh, thank you again, Dan. Oh, you're very welcome, Hercules. Okay, we're going to listen to a quick song, and then we'll be back with uh, Bill Waitman and his guest. Uh, I guess the song we will listen to is The Pipes of Pan, because I'm in a mythical mood tonight.
the best skin of the earth I can see life returning Feel the triple one's rebirth Golden light dapples across the woodland As the piper dances and places tune and the hunter haunted one Spirit of man to the moon All of my life I have seen Many offerings To the gods and all the wonder that they hold But how many people really can Hear the pipes of Pan As they sound across our sacred land of old Can you hear the pipes of Pan On the warm summer breeze If you can, can you feel him deep within Sun to the bees, the nectar of love is on her skin. Heat returns as passions rise and Beltane's dance begins once again. All of my life I have seen many offerings to the gods and all the wonder that they hold but how many people really can hear the pipes of Pan as they sound across our sacred land all of my life I have seen many offerings to the gods and all the They sound across our sacred land of old. Greetings and welcome back to the Elysium Project. Today is our Options and Opportunities Day, and uh, I'm honored to announce the next segment, Path of Public Service, with the legendary Bill Waitman. Greetings and welcome, Bill. How are you? Very good, Hercules. It's getting chilly outside, but it was a nice day overall. Yeah, it was beautiful uh, earlier. I know uh, um, I I was out, and uh, people were talking about how nice it was after the past few days. I, I guess it's getting cold and wet again. Yeah, I was up in Sussex County. It was uh, it was wet, very windy, and very dark. <laughs> I just forgot how to light cities and towns. <laughs> that that too. So, what is going on uh, in northern New Jersey? I know you're very active and you're very busy. Every time we talk, you're uh, either uh, somewhere or on your way to somewhere. <laughs> 
Well, I, I, I've been writing a lot of editorials and op-eds. Did, uh, did my caller ever call in? Uh, no, he, he hasn't called yet. Oh is he running God. for office? It's a busy uh, time. I know uh, Mark uh, Zinna, who's usually uh, very reliable uh, in uh, calling in when he's uh, uh, scheduled to be a guest on the show, uh, he got double booked uh, tonight, so uh, he wasn't able to uh, um, be on the show, although he offered to spend some of his time uh, from the event on the show, which I appreciated, but I, I didn't see the point in doing that. So uh, um, I, I wouldn't be surprised well, if Tom is uh, busy with uh, some election stuff. Doing, he's a county chair, uh, uh, Tom Palmieri, for Warren uh-huh. County, uh, one of the younger chairs. Um, he has a unique district. Uh, it, it covers uh, Warren County for freeholder, but it also uh, and you know mayors and uh, uh, council members throughout the district. Um, next door is Sussex County, which is in another district, and uh, I believe it's the 24th and 23rd district. So it has two assembly districts and um, two state senators, and also he has a um, God. He has three. Congressional offices. Tom Alkowski. Um, oh God, I thought, let me go to. Uh, I'm having a memory lapse. Lapse. Um, Gottheimer uh, uh-huh. covers much of county and pretty much down by your area. And then there's um, Mikey Cheryl. Uh, she's an Air Force, uh, former Air Force and Navy pilot uh, who won election last year. I, I believe it was Freeling Heisen, and. Um, uh, she was one of the seven or eight uh, for, uh, current member of Congress that had mil- direct military service. Uh, they each of them, uh, seven or eight of them, uh, wrote a uh, uh, piece in the uh, uh, the Washington uh, Washington Press, Washington Post. Actually, I'm getting getting off my heels here, and uh, uh-huh. it was um, needed in uh, in government. Now. Um, there are some freeholder races, and there, uh, as I said, there are uh, at least four um, uh, assembly candidates running, maybe six if I count Malinowski's different districts, because they all seem to go into to, to uh, Warren County. And uh, I think uh, Tom Palmieri is the future of the Democratic Party. Um, He's he's young enough. He has a lot of experience. He seems to be tied into the statewide uh, administration. I can't think of the uh, the state coordinator. It slips my mind, but I met him just a few weeks ago, actually in in uh, in um, uh, I guess it was in Bergen County. Uh, he so he's the state coordinator, fighting my tongue, coordinator of the Democratic Party. And getting its candidates and everything. What's trouble, and I don't know if, uh, if Tom would agree on this, it's the money issue. Uh, Sussex County, I wanted to run for freeholder. They right. didn't have anybody. Uh, then they put somebody as a write-in candidate. I could have ran and probably gone with maybe 15,000, 20,000 votes, uh, which is around my average. It's, there's a lot more interest this year because of um, – you know, what's going in Washington. Uh, so I think I, w- I would have done, you know, writing candidates got no shot. You need to go with it. You know, you need to get on the ballot, start sometime after the, you know, get your paperwork in and then start campaigning immediately, just about every day. 
because you're talking about covering three counties in almost uh-huh. all those rural districts. I mean, Sussex County is 526 square miles. I don't have the figures on Warren uh, and uh, the couple of towns that are in Morris County. Um, but it's a lot of got to be there. There's really not a, an infrastructure for a party more, more than, you know, they might have 20 members. Uh, here in, in my daughter's house in, in Wayne, they turn out about 50 members for a meeting. Now, Wayne is 50,000 population. And you probably wow. don't see, you, you know, uh, they they won the last congressional race. I helped a lady the other night, and uh, uh, Karen Little, you, uh, uh, Arlene, um, I forgot her name. <laughs> her brother's my doctor, but he's Dr. Ballard. Um, uh-huh. She went uh-huh. and she's going, she hit 2,400 homes. And uh, there's no real money in Wayne at all. You really need signs. You need a commercial on t- uh, cable. Uh, and you need um, something on a, a local radio station. Uh, here they only they have WGHT, which is a station that my daughter worked on years ago, but it closed. The man said on the license, and somebody in Warwick, New York, bought it. But that really doesn't cover Wayne, you know, um, and, and he had offered the station to Wayne Free as a you know municipal thing, but Wayne is a it's pretty much a uh, Republican town, and uh, Arlene's running against uh, a guy that some foul things in a uh, in a meeting about another woman and uh, mm-hmm. her daughter. I mean, very impressive. They were they were carried in the Bergen record they, to, to tape, but um, that's I don't think he's going to show up, but I. I want to get, get your take on it. I watched this morning. I was writing some pieces. Uh, I wound up. You're going to think this is silly. But I was watching, uh, you know, uh, CNN. And mm-hmm. they were talking about a congressional probe on Trump. And yeah. immediately, a, a bunch of, I don't know if they carried it. They must have carried it on the news. About 24 congressmen of the Republican Party crashed in there. They were pushing each other. It was really out of hand. You know, that's not the way you do things. Um, and I, I said, this is the part you're going to laugh at. Uh, okay. Uh, Mr. Do you remember Mr. Rogers? Yes, I do. I, uh, I had bought a book the other night. Uh, I, they're coming out with a movie on him. And um, it's uh, Tom, uh, Tom Hanks. He's going to play him. And he, he looks... He really looks like him. I think this is his best role since uh, the, the, the movie with the toy store about 40 years ago. But uh, this guy uh, was really something special to kids. I didn't realize it. I mean, I didn't go. It, in the 1950s, we only had three three stations, maybe four. You know, I live somewhere where you are now. I was in Fort Lee, uh, Coitsville. And uh, uh-huh. Mr. Rogers, some cable station, uh, Founded some, uh, you know, public finance cable station in Pennsylvania, and then he moved east. He became a fixture on my, uh, you know, my daughter and son watched him when they were, mm-hmm. you know, six, maybe ten. And um, so I picked up this thing, I uh, picked up the book, and I opened it up, and I'm listening to the uh, CNN reporters go on and on and on. Um, but I came across the book called Forgiveness, and with all the craziness that's going on. I know you might have some viewers that are pro-Republican, 
I don't think they should have done that. Uh, they should have barged in because uh, actually the man uh, testifying it was a former ambassador, uh, ambassador was in, held in great esteem, even by the Republican side. Um, but there's a need in this country, and I mean, if you can get a hold of uh, I don't have it in front of me, but if you can get a hold of uh, I had a lot of smarts, um, uh, Mr. Rogers. That's not even his real name, obviously, but uh, uh, he, everything he planned. Uh, he said that he was a uh, religious figure that was destined to found a children's show, and that's what he did. But anyway, the whole thing about forgiveness is that as a nation, we're in hard times. I don't know how we're yeah. going to come out of this. The president today boldly lied about six or seven times. Uh, you know, about our troops, where they are, where they were, how long they've been there. Um, he claimed that he made a deal with the Russians and uh, uh, the Oradon uh, from Turkey. But I don't think he made any deal. They just they just said, well, the U.S. is done, we're moving in. And I don't know what the reports are now, but that ceasefire ended uh, hours ago. We could be a better country than that. And I know that there's going to be years of problems with this. I, I don't think, I won't ask you your opinion, but I don't think this guy really should fulfill his term. <laughs> I never, and Hercules, without being biased, there is, obviously there's bias. Um, but I think that we can do better. We can do more and better. I don't care what they do. I don't care if they appoint a Republican and a Democrat to serve together. Like uh, the last election, William Weld ran with, uh, uh, I guess, I don't know if he was a Democrat or a Republican, but they, they ran against Trump and uh, Hillary. And Hillary, we need to do better. We can't survive as a nation. I mean, I studied foreign policy. I go to foreign policy. Um, I was supposed to go this week on uh, North Korea and the U.S. and what's going to happen. I don't know what's going to happen with anything because I've never seen anything as silly and, you know, crazy as this. I mean, we watch on stations for hours. People, uh, you know, CNN, uh, the other one, WSNBC, uh, and then we got the news that night, and I've never heard anything. I think I told you, as a little boy, I didn't uh, I even forgot it. As a little boy, my dad would take me to New York. He would take uh -huh. the ferry, and uh, lo and behold, uh, Harry Truman, walked down the street. He had no real eye, had one person with him, no security. It was a different time. At 10 years old, uh, I met uh, JFK at the Teaneck Armory, and I shook his hand. Uh, there's no record of that. But I did meet, I did meet his, uh, his speechwriter uh, later in life, and I managed to meet Nina Khrushchev who uh, was at the new school down, downtown in the village. Uh, I think she was with something called the World Policy Journal. I was there to see Madam, Madam Secretary <laughs> she was in the school. <laughs> so it wasn't all that long ago. But I think she drifted onto CNN or some other station. And, um, I don't know. She's been here for a long time. But these are very frightening years. You know, we had times, my, um, my name is Waitman. My Waitman. Waitmans go back at least to the French and Indian War. Uh, one of them was in Washington. I argued with a uh, Fox judge. Um, 
that he claimed the last letter was uh, exchanged between Jefferson and Adams. The last letter was exchanged between uh, Jefferson and um, Chewy, <laughs> Richard Chewy Waitman, <laughs> who was mayor of uh, <laughs> Washington on the 50th anniversary of the Declaration of Independence. Both Adams and Jefferson died on that day, so they had no chance of getting there. But, and, I mean, you look back at these men, look at their, uh, you know, the things that really can scrape into them. They had slaves. Washington, I believe, uh, freed his slaves before he died. And I believe Jefferson lost, I think he lost Monticello. But these guys okay. set up, they, they both, yeah, and, and he was broke and he was, he was dying. Um, and he, he, you know, he wanted to do some rightful things. Today we argue about religion. Both Jefferson and Washington wrote, uh, Washington wrote to a uh, religious synagogue, I believe in Massachusetts, telling they had nothing to fear living in the United States. And Jefferson did the, basically the same thing. He wrote a letter. And as you know, uh, all of a sudden, uh, JFK visited uh, uh, a Protestant uh, priest and ministers uh, in Houston, and Mitt Romney, uh, who's really come out of nowhere again, he did a, he did a similar a similar deed. We we've never had anything like this. We've had a civil war, but in uh-huh. many cases it was because it was people. I mean, my relatives that had some money, they were in Virginia. They fought for uh-huh. the South. My relatives that were I had one one my name was William Waitman. Uh, who's ranked 17th all time for wealth? He developed uh, quinine for the Civil War. <laughs> Pretty. Wow. <laughs> time, His uh, grandson was a uh, bigamist uh, whose name was Bill Waitman III, but um, which is strange because I actually lived in the same house as him in Fort Lee, Kirksville. Um He was disowned, but we've never had anything in our life like that, you know. As far as immigrants, my parents took Hungarians in after the 1956, uh, you know, revolution. They um, they had skills. Uh, they there was a, a mother, a father, and a, uh, a semi-professional soccer player that played in a place called Schlitzen Park in North Bergen, and he had a job as well. But they rose up. They eventually bought their own house. That's the American dream. It's yeah. not like that. Your last guest was talking about housing. Too many people now are living too far away from good jobs, and they can't afford their housing. And my, my county of Sussex is losing population. They want to close schools. I think they shouldn't do that because it's a uh, the transportation things would be out of sight, you know. And uh, I may be wrong on that, but um, uh, the guy from Facebook wrote a paper on that, and I'm, I think I'm going to agree with him on that, that keeping local schools actually solve some problems uh, because you have people in the school that know the child and can make better decisions. But um, it, 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 it's what they were talking about in the last show rings clear everywhere. It's I think what's going to happen in this election, um, I think that it's going to boil down to uh, – Biden and Trump, if trying, uh, if Trump avoids impeachment, final impeachment. And I, I think, uh, personally, I hope he picks a minority or somebody very qualified to be vice president, like 
I like Senator Harris. Uh, I like uh, Senator Talbashar. Am I saying her name right? And uh, I even like Beto O'Rourke. Uh, I think we've gone on too far with uh, 10 or 15 people debating. I mean, uh, Sanders, uh, Warren, uh, Biden, they should definitely be there. But we're creating too many distractions. I'm all over the map because I was going to talk about <laughs> assembly and, uh, and freeholding. I, I heard Hillary was considering running again also. That popped up uh, the past couple of days. You remember uh, uh, Jill Stein? Yes. Uh, she ran, I, I don't know if it was the Green Party or she ran for the Green Party. And yes. Hillary Bar is a, a Russian bot too. And this one from uh, Hawaii, she's doing the same thing. I think it's time Hillary, uh, she blew it over. There was a bad deal with the FBI director with those. She's been cleared of those uh, those emails. But right. um, I think that she didn't hit the right states. And it's going to be the same thing. You have to hit at least three states to win the, the, the presidential nomination as a Democrat. And that would be Pennsylvania, uh, Michigan, and Wisconsin, and possibly uh, North Carolina. Uh, Trump seemingly is, uh, he's holding on to, he's, I mean, people want him to go through the impeachment, impeachment procedure, but they don't want him to leave office. And I just don't think this nation can stand that more. I, I was at, at some place uh, the other day, and, um, you know, and the kid behind the, it, it was a Ford dealership. And the kid behind the desk to serve it, his name was Zachary Taylor. <laughs> you know, I think Zachary Taylor was one of the guys that had the shortest presidential career. I think he got sick at his inauguration uh, and died about six weeks later. But it's just the uncertainty that's going on in this country. And this was not, I hate to bring foreign politics, politics in this, uh, Turkey is more inclined to be with Russia than with the United States. And I don't believe in slaughtering, allowing people to be slaughtered. You could have made a better deal. You know, I mean, I think these Kurds deserve better. And taking oil wells, what is oil wells when it compares to people? It's not even our oil wells. It's uh, it's uh, Syria's oil wells, and they're probably not that good anyway. So he unleashed a force of crazy uh, ISIS onto all of us, probably back in the U.S. Uh, he made a, a bad lion move on the uh, issue of those uh, Kurds, and um, we're left with nothing. We're holding a bag. We don't have anything in the Middle East. People are talking about Israel and Syria. We did dispatch 2,000 troops to uh, Syria. But if you were president, you follow up, uh, you follow up Obama, would that be the first thing you do is to get rid of the uh, nuclear agreement with Iran? You know, I'm, I'm just saying. I, everybody yeah, that went along with I, I'm puzzled by what's uh, going on. I'm, I'm very puzzled, and uh, I'm very puzzled that uh, nothing's being done to prevent this. Uh, <laughs> uh, I thought that there'd be more checks and balances. I thought there'd be more uh, protective systems in place to prevent some of the things that have been going on. And 
uh, like uh, just about everybody else, uh, I'm concerned about what's going on. I'm wondering what can I possibly do? Um, and it's reinforcing my desire to get into politics because it seems that yeah. uh, that arena is the only one where these things can be uh, addressed uh, effectively. I mean, I can talk, I can write, I can uh, sign uh, petitions, I can, you know, um, do all sorts of things on that uh, particular level. I can invite other people. We can talk about it, but uh, I, I, I would like to do, and I don't quite know what to do. Uh, my ignorance is vast. And with all these events going on, it reinforces how much I don't know. And uh, then it's like, well, how do I learn? You know? Uh, so uh, it's a wake up call, certainly for me and certainly for a lot of people I've talked to, but uh uh, it's still very fuzzy and uh, unclear as to what the right direction to proceed in is. I'll tell you what, I, I don't remember their names all of a sudden, but I belong to two organizations. One was uh, uh, out of Union County, um, and it's to educate people. Uh, I missed an event on Sunday because I'm having some walking problems, uh, but a, a Democratic state state senator, uh, Vince Go, Vin Gopal was uh, at a Morris County fundraiser. I actually paid for the fundraiser, but they can- canceled the entertainment, but I couldn't go. But anyway, he and uh, other people belong to this organization. Uh, one was in Livingston, the other was nearby. Uh, and, you know, there was a third. Uh, I've got to get their names. But I brought the, both of them up to Sussex County. I got a library. Uh, in Vernon, New Jersey, and uh, and we, uh, I did debates. You had on, for instance, uh, I, I I've had uh, um, a guy named Jeff that was uh, in. Um, uh, oh God, I forget who he was now. But I had two guys debate all the time. One was the economist I had on your show a few weeks a few weeks back, and he would debate a, Dem- a Democrat who had been uh, a, uh, a manager of, of, of a Democrat's campaign. The manager was uh, from Florio. I got along with Florio, and he okayed it. So I did this for a couple of years. Then the other organization offered the uh, idea of training people to be committee men and committee women. The Democratic mm-hmm. Party does it, but it doesn't hurt to get idea, uh, ideas in. Eric Dawson was in Newark. I met him through that. He had some kind of a position with that. But the truth is people aren't voting. The biggest winner in the last election, I'm talking presidential, was the people that stayed home. They voted for nobody. You know, and you can't, it seems over the, the polling system, I don't know what it is. I don't know if it's in church pulpits that they're getting into people. Because I have a lot of family members that are in uh you know, pretty conservative churches, and they yes. buy everything. And I don't think that politics should come from the pulpit. I mean, I'm Catholic. I, I, I as I said, I remember Kennedy going to Houston, and uh, it was a good move on his part because they dropped the issue. They saw him as being a water carrier for the Pope, and he wasn't. And he made every promise, and Romney did the same thing. Um, and I, I think there were others in the past. I, I, I know the letters of uh, Jefferson and Washington, but we're not doing anything right. You, when you went to high school, I had two years of history. American oh, yes. history, 
and na- uh, na- uh, international history or ancient history. And civics, who they taught us back then? I had a class in civics, about sixth grade. You know, we followed elections. She, uh, she would allow a teacher at the time would send us out to join one of the parties and go around. And I did the same thing in college. Uh, it was the Nixon era. So I went around for first for Robert Kennedy, and then I switched to Hubert Humphrey because Kennedy was gone. Uh, a lot of our elections have been decided by votes. Um, we have to do something. Well, maybe we have to reintroduce civics into the school. For instance, um, I haven't had this guy. I wanted to bring him on your radio show, station. Um, he uh, worked with Margaret J. Smith. Margaret J. Smith was a senator, and a, uh, she was the first woman to be both a House of Representatives and a U.S. state senator. Actually, she came in time with one that came in in World War One and just went further. But uh-huh. Margaret J. Smith, it was her. We're talking about solutions, and this is what we're looking for in this time. Uh, I, I believe the answer is in the Republican Party. It's Lisa. Krakowski. Her I know. I got involved somehow with her. Nice lady. I thought uh, the woman in Maine now, uh, Susan Collins, would be the one. She made a motion. But Margaret Chase Smith got up when during the McCarthy hearings with uh, all the nasty people around him, and she gave her declaration of conscience. She attacked the Democratic Party, but she blew away the Republican Party, which was her party. And there's no doubt that that was what changed down the road when Republicans came across and they censured uh, McCarthy. He was just a bad guy. There uh-huh. has to be somebody. There has to be somebody in this in, in this Congress, most likely the state, the, the U.S. Senate, that will have the willpower to get up and say enough. Enough is enough. Enough is enough. I don't think we can survive anymore. This guy will give away everything. You don't know what he says in uh, conference rooms. I'm not a war hawk, but I would not. Uh, I don't trust him in any meeting with anybody. And he's getting. He's proud that he hangs around with uh, dictators. I think he gave away. We, we don't do anything with North uh, South Korea uh, as far as uh, you know, practicing what could come. And this guy's gone ahead and he's. Uh, a little hole there or whatever his name is, and uh, he's making missiles every day, despite whatever this president says. You have to be more – he doesn't have the background. It was Eisenhower. You know, he would go out. There was Nixon as a president. There's no discounting his foreign policy. And, and besides, he created the uh, EPA. Not a bad move. Right. Uh, you know, he uh, – there was Ke- Kennedy – with um, the Bay of Pigs and those people that were involved, including Khrushchev. Um, and that ended. That was a horrific time. I don't know if you were in elementary school like me. but I remember. The high- <laughs> and then it went on. Johnson with the Vietnam War. Nixon was supposed to end it. He kept it going for a while. Um, and the big, the big gripe about Kennedy came from the uh, Speaker of the House from Florida. And the U.S. Speaker of the House, he told Lyndon, his protege, he said, did any of these men in your, uh, and because Lyndon was bragging about it, all these Ivy League people they had, that they were the best and the brightest. Matter of fact, the guy wrote a book called The Best and the Brightest. 
what the Speaker of the House told them basically is, did any of them ever get their hands dirty? Do hard work. They were thinkers, but they got caught up in the Vietnam War, which shouldn't have went on anyway. We were lied to from the beginning, even from the French defeat. And today, if we were smart, I know you had uh, my friend on. She was fully in favor of the TPP, but I've trained, changed my mind. That was a bad move to drop out of that because that helps U.S. trade. I don't want to trade away our jobs. I've seen, like you, I've seen millions of jobs trade away. But I, I think that we have to start getting back to basics as a country and a people. That's why I wrote this. I put this little piece in about forgiveness in there. You know, we're battling with each other. Most of us, it, it's going to happen over Thanksgiving tables in this country. Right. Uh, it'll go on Christmas. This guy gets elected. It's going to get worse and worse. And I think we're being outmaneuvered all over the globe. I'm not for war, but I would... I think that the uh, NATO served a great purpose, and uh, I appreciate countries like Estonia in there and, and the small ones and the big ones, Germany, France, and uh, uh, Britain. So I don't know. That's, uh, I'm sorry that I lost my uh, yesterday. That's okay. You know, things happen. Life happens. Uh, you're a fountain of information or a treasure trove of information. Information you've been uh, focused on a, uh, a series of uh, topics throughout your life, so you always have uh, something interesting to contribute, whether it's information, whether it's insights, whether it's advice. So uh, uh, we're doing fine. No apologies needed. Okay, I'll try to I'll try to get a guest that keeps confirms. I don't. I think you're right. There are fundraisers going on. Uh, um, he's busy in uh, Sussex County, and he's busy in some of the other counties that border him for other people. But I, he told me, he said, I'll be right there. <laughs> Tom has been on the show before. He's, he's been on the, you brought him on uh, as a guest uh, before. He's a very interesting guy. He is. I don't know what kind of work he does. I, I think he's young, and I think he'll rise, he'll rise higher in the, uh, in the Democratic Party, maybe at one time becoming the head of uh, the New Jersey Party. Because he's around this governor, he's around a lot of the senators. And next year, um, if he would have been on here tonight, next year I'm going to run. So, awesome. <laughs> even if it's a third party, I'm going to run. They didn't put anybody on the ballot. They had a write-in candidate. If you're going to do that, that ain't going to help your candidates. They're misguided. But Hercules, it's always a pleasure. I listened to that show. I uh, it was very informative. I don't think that it's just rich. I think that we've We've got to really energize the, the middle class and the lower classes because they're disappearing. And if we don't do anything, I, I mean, we've got a millionaire, a billionaire running in, in the Democratic primaries for president. But we need to, and Hillary Clinton too, or redo, wouldn't solve the problem. So let's hope for the no, best. We, we need a new vision. So that'll be the topic uh, of our next conversation. I'm talking to Astrid after the show tonight. Uh, so I'll be giving you a call after I talk to Astrid, not tonight, because uh, I'm exhausted and I have a long day tomorrow, but I'll be calling you tomorrow during the day to get your input. Um, circumstances nope. changed at the Creskill uh, Library, uh, so I just wanted to uh, throw out there what I believe our next step should be, and this so we can start on that project, too. Well, if you're not in that library, pick one like um, Hackensack. They'll be more cooperative. 
Oh, no, Crestle's been very cooperative. It's just that the director retired, and uh, a oh. lot of people moved on to other libraries. So all the work that I put in there for the past five years, <laughs> all of a sudden uh, evaporated for the most part. So um, it's 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 bad in a sense because i got to start over, but it's good because I have to start over. So uh, um, it, 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 it's, uh, you know, it's a good place to be overall, and I definitely want your feedback and uh uh, let's continue the work we started doing. Uh, anyway, they're informing me they're going to cut us off in 90 seconds, so I'll close the show. Bill, thank you. As always, you're awesome, and I'm very honored to know you. Go ahead. It's a pleasure. Take a look at Mr. Rogers. The book is 698. I will definitely do so. And thanks to all who joined us at home, like uh, the circumstances in our world today. The show was kind of unpredictable, but here we are, and we got through it. And uh, we learned a lot, and there's a lot done. Be well, everybody. Look forward to next time. Thanks for listening to the Spiritual Unity Radio Network. Join us seven nights a week for exciting programming covering a variety of expressions of faith. And remember, all manifestations of the divine are equally valid.